0: Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, Building Faith and Friendship. The Bible reading is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You God will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings whole sorry in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered to you on your altar.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. I don't know about you, but um, I've seen the uh, forgiveness offered by some of these families of the nine people who were shot dead in that church church in Charleston. I don't know if you've seen the videos of this. And I find it astonishing that people can forgive just days after a man who has gone into a church and shot dead their loved ones. They gave immediate forgiveness. What a testimony to the power of God's forgiveness in their lives. What a display of the power of the Holy Spirit and of God's grace to them in Jesus Christ. But they did something else as well. I don't know if you recall this. They called for Dylan Roof. He's the gunman. They called for him to repent and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. They directed him to the gospel saying, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ, and be saved. And that call to repent, that's a call that rings out throughout the ages. It's a call we see littered throughout the Old Testament in the words of people like Josiah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. In Ezekiel 14, verse 6, we read, repent and turn away from idols. And the call of Ezra as the Israelites have returned from exile in Babylon is the same. Into the New Testament, right at the outset, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist declares, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he begins his ministry, repent and believe in the gospel. And even after Jesus Jesus is taken up into glory after his resurrection, the apostles continue the call. In Acts 2, verse 38, the crowd is asking Peter, what must we do? His response, repent. And today, we are being called to repent. That's the message of God's word to us in Psalm 51. And as we read through this lament, which is attributed to King David, we'll see that this psalm directs us straight to the gospel. Why does it do that? Because it shows us that the call to repent is not about The acceptability of the one who cries out to God. No, it's about the mercy and love of the one to whom sinners repent. So let's take a look, shall we, at this psalm together. I've got three headings, just short headings, which will help us this morning. Firstly, this word repent. What does repentance mean? Secondly, we'll look and see how the psalmist is restored. And thirdly, we'll see how this leads to rejoicing. So that's repent, restored, and rejoicing. Let's begin with repentance. The psalm opens with a cry of mercy. Let's read the first five verses again. I'm reading from the NIV, or your, your church Bibles. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So what is repentance, first of all? Repentance is a turning from sin. There's three words here for sin in the original Hebrew, and thankfully we have three words in our English translation translation. Did you notice? Verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away my iniquity. And again, cleanse me from my sin. These three words, they occur throughout these first five verses and beyond. And they speak of active rebellion. Of going away in willful defiance from God. And in his repentance, the psalmist is so aware of his sin. It's ever before him. Do you notice how many times he repeats his sin? Verse 1, transgressions. Verse 2, iniquity and sin. Verse 3, transgressions. Verse 3, sin. Verse 4, sin. And evil. And verse 5, sinful, sinful. Nine times he is saying in these first five verses alone, I'm a sinner. This is most important to us in terms of repentance. He is owning up. He is holding up his hands in surrender and confessing full responsibility for all of his sin. Is that how we respond to our sin? Really? It's so easy, isn't it, to spot sin in the lives of others. But when we come to our own sin, we like to dress it up a little, don't we? We like to make excuses. I know I do. Reasons for the sins we commit or for the good that we omit. I only said that because of the way he treated me. It wasn't like anyone got hurt. I can't help it. It's an addiction. Or perhaps more ironically, it was an innocent mistake. We use excuses to make light of our sin, don't we? But it's deadly. It's deadly because it stops us from truly repenting. You know, C.S. Lewis, he's the author of the Narnia books, he once wrote this. The trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in making God and asking him to accept our excuses. We are so very anxious to point these out to God and to ourselves. The danger, he says, is this. We shall go away imagining that we have repented and been forgiven when all that's really happened is we've satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. And they may be very bad excuses, but we are altogether too easily satisfied with ourselves. Is that true of you this morning? I know it's true of me. So can I ask you this morning, have you really and truly cried out to God (coughs) Like the psalmist, have you held up your hands and declared, I am undone, Lord. I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me. That's what verse 17 is all about. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Repentance is complete, broken surrender. It's a full recognition of wrong. But it's more than that. Look at the top of verse 4. It's a recognition of who we have wronged. Against you. He's addressing God. You, Lord God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. All sin, no matter who the perpetrator and who the victim, all sin is against God. You and I have sinned against the living God. The one who made us. And the one who will judge us. When Dylan Roof shot dead those worshippers in Charleston, he was acting in defiance against God, his maker. And in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we read of King David's sin. I don't know if you know this awful story. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. She then becomes pregnant, and instead of repenting, he tries to cover it up. He calls Uriah back. He asks her to go and be with his wife to try and conceal his sin. But Uriah, his integrity, keeps him there at the palace, waiting to return to the army, to the war that Israel is facing. So instead, David conspires to have him killed. He asks Joab, his leading officer, to place Uriah on the front line of the battle, that he might be killed. And indeed he is killed. But in the end all this sin against Bathsheba, Uriah, the people of Israel is all against his God the only holy and blameless one the creator and the author of life And So the call to us to repent this morning says this, it says Give the game up Surrender Stop running away Stop covering up your sin with more and more And come, come broken, come helpless before your God. But on what basis do we come? Look at the start of verse 1 again. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to what? According to his status, perhaps? According to the good he's done? No. According to your unfailing love? According to your great compassion? There is nothing that we can bring to God as the basis for our repentance and forgiveness. We come according to God's mercy, God's steadfast love. Listen to these words from Psalm 103, verse 10 to 12. And just listen to what happens by the power of God's love to our sin in repentance. Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 to 19 says this again, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his for anger. Why? He does not retain his anger because he delights in steadfast love. He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. When we repent, when we believe in God's salvation, we trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ and we cry for his mercy, believing that what Jesus did when he died on the cross for the repentant sinner is to destroy and cast out our sin once and for all. I quoted C.S. Lewis no, earlier on and he says this about true repentance. To repent we need to really and truly believe in the forgiveness of sins. A great deal of our anxiety to make excuses comes from the fact that we don't believe in it. Is that you this morning? Let me be very clear with you. The scriptures say, if you will not repent, you will not be saved. If we will not accept the wrong we have done, we will not accept the fact that we have offended the living God, if we will not turn in complete brokenness and in faith plead God's mercy in Jesus Christ's death for our sins, we will not be saved. We will not be forgiven. God's word is clear. Repent or perish, Jesus says in Luke 13. So can I plead with you this morning? Can I say, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We must move on. Let's look at this restoration. What does this mercy, or this this great compassion, this steadfast love, this unfailing love of God, what does it do? It restores the repentant sinner. We read, didn't we, in verse 1 and 2, the psalmist asking for his sin to be blotted out, washed away and cleansed. He says the same thing in verses 7 and 9. He says it in the opposite order, actually. Let's read those verses, 7 and 9. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than the snow. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. What's this blotting out then? We don't have blotting paper anymore, do we? In fact, it probably won't be long before we don't have paper anymore. Well, blotting away is like this. You're sat in front of your laptop or your computer screen. Written in front of you in an open document. Is a record of your wrongs. It is your life typed up in every sordid detail. And here the psalmist says, God, will you press delete? Will you remove that record of wrongs? You know, this is amazing. This is a putting away, this is a removal, this is a deleting of sin. That's what blotting out is. And there's more. He asks for washing. He asks to be washed. This word washed, same as verse 2, it's used for the scrubbing of clothes. Again, we don't have an, an easily relevant picture these days, do we? We just throw them in the washing machine. This is a thorough scrubbing and cleaning. The request for such washing, for a soap and a scrub, is because of the grotesque stain that sin leaves in our hearts and our lives. You know, this is a 90 degree wash. It's vanished soap and it's silly bang thrown in for good measure. That's what this is. And so in repentance and forgiveness sin is blotted out. The record of wrongs is deleted by God. We are washed, scrubbed clean. And then he asks, in verse 7, to be cleansed. And this cleansing, it speaks of spiritual cleansing. That metaphor in verse 7 is really helpful. He speaks of hyssop what's hyssop I confess I have to remind myself and look this up it's a large leaf plant that was used in ritual cleansing it was used in ritual cleansing of lepers remember they were cast out of the people of God because because of their disease they were cleansed with water on the branches of hyssop it was also used for the cleansing of those who were spiritually unclean because they touched dead bodies what What the psalmist is saying here is that he he wants to be made spiritually clean so that he can enter back into the community of God's people. Blotting out, washing away and cleansing show us the sinner's desire for a complete removal of sin. But they also shine forth the light of the gospel. Because this is what Jesus has achieved for us. By his sacrificial death upon the cross, where he paid the penalty for our sin, sin is wiped from our record in faith. We are washed clean, and by the righteousness of Christ we are made pure. His spirit within us, purifying us, cleansing us. And there's more, verse 10. This forgiveness, this restoration of God, this is incredible. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is not burying under carpets. This is not wallpaper reapplied every day to cover over cracks. This is the grace of God going deep down by his spirit. He has dealt with your sin. He has washed you clean and through faith he will create new life in you. This restoration is so wonderful but we are so slow in coming to repentance. And receiving the forgiveness of God. Just think about David again. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. First thing he does is try and cover it up. When that doesn't work, he tries to dispose of the whole problem. By having Uriah killed. He's desperate to avoid being confronted with the reality of his sin. Are you like that? I know I am. I have seen that same thing in my life. Time and time again covering up my sin failing to look at it in its horror and confess look in David's life it's only when God confronts him that he turns in repentance Nathan the prophet sent by God to David and it's God who turns him around it is God who does it and God continues to do it for every sinner who repents God turns us God brings us to our knees in repentance. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He breaks down our stubborn wills and says, come, come and be healed of your sin and shame. Come, come to me. God is calling you and me this morning to repent. Repent. He's turning us around and saying, come and have unmerited favor. Come and have restoration. The riches of God in Christ Jesus. Look how far this restoration extends. Verse 13. What's this sinner going to do? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. That's incredible. Every preacher on every pulpit can testify to that. The wonder of restoration, being restored to God, is that God, in his steadfast, unfailing love, in his abundant mercy, restores us to such an extent that we rejoice. So let's close finally with this rejoicing. The psalmist asks to rejoice. We've just read verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness, Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. There's a version called the New English Bible. And it translates it like this. The broken bones may dance again. I love that. That gets really close to the original. Because of hearing joy and gladness, that's a reason to rejoice. And in verse 14, there's another reason. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness deliverance from guilt that's a reason to rejoice do we? do we take hold of that reason to rejoice this morning? I wonder if you're a bit like me if you still carry around some of your guilt from your sin and failure even after repentance and faith in Christ it's so often what we do, isn't it? and what does that guilt do? It holds us back from serving God. It holds us back from living in freedom from sin. And it holds us back from knowing the riches of God's grace. Christ didn't die for that. Christ died to free us to live for him. We're not to wander off into sin. We're not to wallow in our guilt. We're to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. For these reasons for rejoicing, this deliverance, this restoration, this hearing of joy. There are reasons to rejoice, aren't they? But what do we rejoice in this morning? There's something else going on here. I wonder if you spotted it. Repentance that leads to restoration, that is centered on the person of Jesus Christ, trusting fully in his righteousness, in his salvation on the cross, leads to us rejoicing in him. Verse 12. The start of verse 12 says, Restore to me the joy. The joy of what? The joy of your salvation. That's what we rejoice in. Salvation of God in Christ Jesus. The end of verse 14 says, My tongue will sing of your righteousness. And verse 15 carries on. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You know, the rejoice we are given by the grace of God when we trust in the life of love, the the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our enjoyment of him. Yes, we celebrate deleted sin. Yes, we celebrate washed whiteness and spiritual cleansing. Yes, we celebrate removal of guilt, deliverance of God, a new heart, but even more than that, we see in the depths of God's love the wonder of what Christ Jesus did and does, and so we celebrate Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the perfect sacrifice in which God delights. He's the righteousness of God revealed. He's the manifestation of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy and can I tell you this morning as we close in the end when you come in repentance before the throne of grace what you discover is that sin was lying all along it was lying to you because the power of God's love is more than enough to forgive you and transform you the true reality is this There is nothing sweeter, there is nothing more irresistible, there is nothing more compelling, there is nothing more loving, there is nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling, than the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, will you repent? Will you repent of your sin, and receive the restoration of God, and rejoice in your Saviour, Jesus Christ? Shall we close with these words from Hebrews before we pray? Hebrews 10, 19 to 23 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Shall we pray? Our Father God this morning, Abba Father, we come into your presence through the veil that is through the flesh the body of Christ. That veil that was torn in two, that was rent asunder when Christ died on the cross. Dying to pay the penalty, to bear the wrath for our sin and rising in resurrection life. Opening the way for us to come into your very presence, even this morning. And to see what Christ has done to our sin in trampling it underfoot in blotting it out, in washing us clean, in casting it into the deepest ocean so that we can be restored to you and so that we can stand and sing and rejoice in Christ our Saviour. Would you by your Spirit, Lord God, pour it out on us this morning and bring forth the fruit of repentance in our lives and cleanse us by the blood of Christ, restoring us to this unbelievable position, being children of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.